global crisis. Bible prophecy. Health and preparedness. You're just in time. 11th Hour Dispatch. Father in heaven, we pray for your spiritual guidance and enlightenment from your word, that we might understand the most urgent truths in Bible prophecy during this broadcast. We know that your word is truth, and we know that there is much deception, that the devil is the one who comes to this earth to deceive the whole world. We pray that you would keep us from deception as we surrender and submit our hearts to the truth of your word, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Welcome to 11th Hour Dispatch. I'm Scott Ritzema, your host again for a session in the series of prophecy teachings from the book of Revelation. And this one, I'll tell you, is a climactic, very heavy and intense session, as was the one last time. If you've been tuning into the broadcast regularly, last time you heard about the identity of not only the first beast of Revelation 13, the Antichrist beast, but also the second beast of Revelation 13. And study this for yourself. Study this at BibleProphecyTruth.com or go to 11th Hour Dispatch to listen to the previous broadcasts. But we were looking at a very, very, um, what you might call dystopic future. Something that sounds quite fantastical and impossible. When you read Revelation 13 and you identify these powers that are in position in a global, influential, coercive position in the last days, it's truly eye-opening to say, wow, that's what's coming. The once free United States will begin speaking like a dragon. We've got the papal power of Rome linking with the United States in the last days to, to push forward some sort of draconian false worship system. I mean, again, this sounds impossibly incredible, but I know that it's true because the Bible prophecies always prove to be true. And at the end, we were sort of envisioning, you know, as the crises really intensify in the last days, we know that this country, America, gets very religious during a time of crisis. We saw it after 9-11. It was majorly, intensely religious as people were looking for some answers to the time of crisis that we had. Well, what's coming is a whole lot worse than 9-11. It's a time of trouble like there never was since there was a nation. Now, you might say, Scott, isn't that a good thing to have religious revival in the context of, of crisis? Maybe, maybe the whole world won't wander after the beast. Maybe the whole world will be converted to the lamb, to Jesus. Well, the Bible says that that won't take place. Sadly, God wants that to take place. He's inviting every soul to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But the Bible says that the vast majority, what, the, what it calls the whole world, except the few that follow the lamb, the remnant, the whole world wonders after this beast system of the dragon, the beast, and the second beast linking arms. And we saw this in place last fall with the papal visit to the United States, the greatest security event in American history where you had a religious political figure, a foreign dignitary who happens to be the leader of the biggest religion in the world, Catholicism, 
the Pope himself, you might say Christianity as a whole, including Protestant and Catholic, is the biggest religion in the world, with Islam second. But Catholicism, the biggest Christian religion in the world, but is the Pope of Rome the legitimate standard bearer for Bible Christianity? Or is this power, and it's not this individual, Jorge Bergoglio, maybe he's a very nice man, and you know this is not about individuals, and this is certainly not about my friends who are happen to be Catholic, happen to have grown up and believed in the Catholic faith. No, this is about, about the Vatican power. This is about the papacy for 1,260 years, which persecuted Christianity, persecuted Bible-believing Christians horribly, and anybody else who got in their way, with upwards of 100 million deaths. And this is about a power in the West, in the once free United States, where we had a constitution, we had limitations on government power. Well, that's all going to be cast aside in the last days because it says that this beast speaks like a dragon. The dragon, the Antichrist beast, and the second beast coming together. And of course, when the Pope visited the United States, it was like the greatest adoration fest that you've ever seen literally rolling out the red carpet. ABC News reported that he was treated like unlike any other international leader. Time magazine started referring to him as his holiness. The president met him literally on the runway. I mean, there's a whole lot more to be said about that visit. In fact, you can go listen to the old broadcasts of that. We were doing the show during last September when the Pope visited the United States. But today we're studying how this enforcement of a false worship system is going to look. We're looking at the mark of the beast and the seal of God. Because there are times coming where there will literally be an enforcement of a false system of, system of worship. It says it straight up in Revelation 13 over and over and over again. Now, a couple of misconceptions first about the mark of the beast that we've got to peel away. It says in Revelation 13... Verse 16, and he causeth all, meaning the beast, the second beast, causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead. And, so he does two things here. He causes all to receive a mark, and he causes no man to buy or sell except he that has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now, many people confuse these things. They, they fuse these to, together. The Bible just said that there is two things happening. There are two things happening. There is an enforcement of some sort of mark. And there is a coercive measure put in place to enforce that mark. Many will take the mark of the beast. And for those who hesitate... There will be a law. There will be an edict that comes down that says you may not buy or sell unless you take the mark. Two separate things. Like you can imagine somebody standing up in front of a crowd of people with a box in his hand. He says, in this box, it's not going to be this obvious, by the way, but hypothetically, just as an analogy, he says, in this box is the mark of the beast, and I would invite you to take it. Well, the crowd of people might say, well, we don't want to take that. We don't want to take that mark of the beast. So he says, okay. Since many are resisting, what we're going to do is go ahead and prohibit you from buying or selling unless you take this mark. And there will be some sort of method to enforce that no buy, no sell edict. 
It will likely involve the cashless society and turning off of electronic transactions. It may involve chips, but don't get that confused. The microchip itself would not be the mark of the beast. It's merely the enforcement mechanism to coercively pressure people to take the mark. The mark is something else altogether, and we're going to identify it in this broadcast. But remember, no matter what method they use to enforce the no-buy, no-sell law, that enforcement mechanism itself is not the mark of the beast. It says he causes all to receive a mark and he causes all to not be able to buy or sell unless they receive that mark. It's not the same thing. I have in my hand, by the way, I brought a little visual aid for radio, (laughs) but you can imagine in my hand right now, I have one of the credit cards that has the new uh, microchip embedded in it. So I have a microchip in my right hand right now. I have a chip in my, my, on my, in my right hand. I have not taken the mark of the beast by having a chip in my right hand. Even if it was implanted in the skin. There's, there's elderly people. There's dogs, people with their pets. They, they put medical information and identifying information on this in case the person you know, with dementia or the dog gets lost or whatever. These poor people in these experimental programs have not taken the mark of the beast. Come on. Let's, let's think about the Bible through and through. God's issues are not skin deep. God is concerned about our hearts. Now, to be honest, frankly, I wouldn't take a, a, a chip at all. I, that kind of kind of freaks me out. But it's not the mark of the beast. Let's identify the mark of the beast. Oh, before we do that, some people think the mark of the beast is 666. Well, that's not the case either. It says, here is wisdom. Let him that understand count the number of the beast. That's not the mark of the beast. For it is the number of a man, and his number is 603 score and 6. 666 is the number of the beast. Maybe if I have time another time, I'll explain what that is. Fascinating. But very clearly we know the mark of the beast is something altogether. So let's identify the mark of the beast from the Bible. And that's the only place that I want to understand the mark of the beast from. I don't want to look at this from the angle angle of popular prophecy uh, gurus and, 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 and hype and all of the things out there floating around in prophecy circles. I only want to know what the Bible says. Now, first thing, what is the controversy in Revelation 12, 13, and 14? This is the climax of the book of Revelation, and over and over and over again, it says that the controversy is over worship. It's over worship, 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 and the commandments, the commandments stated multiple times. So this final conflict between Christ and Satan, depending on who will receive the mark of the beast and who will receive the seal of God, we're going to see that in Revelation 7 in a moment, this is going to come down to the major theological, religious, spiritual conviction issues as it relates to God and worship and his law. For for we see in uh, Revelation 14, Verse 9, it says, The third angel followed, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. It's pretty serious stuff. It goes into people being tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the Lamb, because our God is a consuming fire. This is a life or death salvation issue. It says those that receive the mark will be lost. And then immediately after it says that, it says here is the patience of the saints. So you see the contrast, one group receiving the mark, and then you got the saints. And it says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. 
So the Mark of the Beast crisis is going to involve the commandments, and it's going to involve a false worship system. So this is already transcending the shallow and insignificant matter of how much technology we would want in our lives. The chip is not the Mark of the Beast. Maybe it'll be used to enforce the no-buy, no-sell. I'm not going to be taking one, but the Mark of the Beast is not the technology being used to enforce the Mark of the Beast. What is the Mark of the Beast then? Okay, we know it involves the commandments. We know it involves a enforced worship system stated over and over again in Revelation 13 that we've read those texts. In Revelation 7, you see the opposite of the mark of the beast. Now, the easiest way to identify the mark of the beast is to simply look at what the seal of God is in the Bible, and then it'll be a very simple, oh, well, of course, we know what the mark of the beast is then, once you've seen what the seal of God is. After these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, and I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. So, this is the seal of God being placed on the foreheads of the saints, of the believers in the last days. The mark of the beast in the foreheads or in the right hands of the lost and the seal of God in the forehead of the believers. We'll, we'll identify the seal of God after the break and the Mark of the Beast. We'll be right back. You're listening to 11th Hour Dispatch with author, teacher, and speaker Scott Ritzmer. For more programs and information, visit 11thHourDispatch.com. George Washington once stated, The acceptance of and continuance hitherto in the office to which your suffrages have twice called me have been a uniform sacrifice of inclination to the opinion of duty and to a deference for what appeared to be your desire. I constantly hoped that it would have been much earlier in my power, consistently with motives which I was not at liberty to disregard. I have to stop reading right there. Come again, President Washington? What did he just say? Did you know that in the 1880s, children were reading this in grade five in their reading class? Repeat after me. We've been dumbed down. It's time to wake up. To come apart and be separate, saith the Lord. The DVD series is called Schooled. The deliberate agenda to reduce individuality, destroy intelligence, and re-engineer society. In Schooled, you'll hear it straight from the mouths of the founders of modern schooling themselves. They're quite proud of it. Visit 11thHourDispatch.com and use promo code RADIO for a reduced suggested donation rate. Merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend, who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of men? Oh, you rescue the souls of men. And we're back. This is 11th Hour Dispatch. I'm Scott Ritzema, your host once again, for a very important session with the climactic events at the end of Earth's history, where it all boils down to the question of, will the Christians, will the believers receive the seal of God? Because everybody that doesn't receive the seal of God will receive the mark of the beast. There are only two groups in the last days. I want to be those among those that receive the seal of God. Now, what is a seal? In Bible times, 
a seal would be used as something that would show that the law of a certain king is is validated. It would be the thing that would be placed on the law to signify it as the king's law based upon his authority. It would legitimize the law. So when King Ahab wanted his neighbor's vineyard, Queen Jezebel wrote the law declaring his vineyard to be her husband's property. And what made that document official was that it had the seal with, of the seal of the king on it. So the seal showed that the law was valid. So seals in the Bible relate to the laws of kings in the Bible times. Let's see this is, if this is also true with regard to God's seal. Let's take a look at Hebrews 8. It says in Revelation 7 that the seal of God will be placed where now? Do you remember? The seal of God is placed in the foreheads of the believers. So what in the Bible is placed in the forehead? Or in what's behind the forehead is your mind, your, your convictions, your brain, your frontal lobe. Hebrews 8, verse 10 says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. Did you catch that? The seal of God, the law of God, is placed in the forehead. The seal of God relates to the law of God. And it's not just Hebrews 8, also in Deuteronomy 6. This is the most important commandment in all of the law. Jesus said, this is the most important one because all the other ones depend upon this one. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. That's the most important commandment because all of the Ten Commandments depend upon that one. The Ten Commandments are how we love God and how we love our, our neighbor. Now, right before this text, the Ten Commandments were listed. And Moses writes here in Deuteronomy 6, this is the words of the Lord, and these words which I command ye this day shall be in thine heart. So these words means the Ten Commandments, which were just stated previously to this. These words which I command ye this day, verse 8, thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets, guess where? Between thine eyes, i.e. the forehead. Now, of course, the forehead is symbolic. The right hand is symbolic. It says these are a sign of something real, something meaningful. You don't just write the law on your right hand or on your forehead and call it good. No, your mind is your convictions, your beliefs, your thoughts. Your hand represents your actions, how you take action based upon your thoughts. So what it's saying in Deuteronomy 6 is the law of God is implanted within your mind, written on your forehead, if you will, to use the term from Revelation. So now we have three texts. Deuteronomy 6 says, put the law in your forehead and on your right hand. Deuteronomy, that was Deuteronomy 6. Hebrews 8 says God's going to write his law in our foreheads, in our minds rather, and Revelation 7 says he puts his seal in our foreheads. So put, put the law in your forehead, put the law in your forehead, put the seal in your forehead. Well, you know what the seal is then. It relates to the law of God very, very clearly here. But we can probably go a little bit deeper than this because every ancient law always had a seal to identify the authority of the lawgiver. Well, God in this case is the lawgiver. 
He's the one that wrote the Ten Commandments that are being written on our minds. And on what basis does God rest his authority? Revelation 4 verse 11 says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. That is the basis for God's authority. He's the creator. So, of course, he can tell us how to live our lives because he knows what's best for us because he made us. He designed us. He knows the design protocols that work best for us, and he lists them in Ten Commandments. And he he receives all honor and glory and power because of that, the fact that he is a creator. Now, you already know what commandment in the Ten will be the basis for his authority then because which commandment? identifies him as the creator. But it gets even more amazing than that. I didn't give it away yet. You'll see it in a moment if you didn't catch that one, but this is so beautiful and so clear. Every seal, every ancient seal of a monarch, a king in ancient times, would have three components to it. First of all, it would have the king's name. That would be a basic necessity to have that on there, but also his title. So it would list the name of the king, but also his title, Caesar or, or Pharaoh or emperor or king. And then also it would list the territory of jurisdictional authority that he has. So the, the, the geographical place that he rules, his territory. His name, his title, and his territory. In the case of King Ahab, that would have been on his seal. It would have said Ahab, king of Israel. That's what a seal is. So, can you think of a commandment in the Ten Commandments that includes the Lord's name and his title and his territory and identifies him as the creator, which is the basis for his his having authority over the law? It, of course, is the fourth commandment, the Sabbath commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord. There's his name, Yahweh, your God. There's a title, Elohim, creator God. In it you shall do no work. You nor your son nor your daughter nor your male servant nor your female servant nor your cattle nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord, there's his name again, made the heavens and the earth. So there's another title, creator, but also here's the jurisdiction, here's the territory, the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. Now, that's truly amazing. You see all of the components of an ancient seal right there in the fourth commandment. You see the law written on our minds, the seal placed in our forehead. You know which commandment is especially being referenced here then if it's called a seal. It's called the sign of God's authority. Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between them and me that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Ezekiel 20 verse 12. Now, which commandment does does John quote in Revelation 14 when he's giving the longest quote from the entire Old Testament in the book of Revelation, he quotes the fourth commandment. He says, worship him. This is in the controversy over worship. The devil's coming forth with his beast and his second beast, and they're pushing forward this false worship system. And John says, no, here's the message of God. Worship him who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. He's quoting directly from the fourth commandment, and that's the longest quote in Revelation 14, the longest quote of the Old Testament in the entire book of Revelation, pointing us back to the Sabbath commandment, the Sabbath commandment, the Sabbath commandment. 
It says in Revelation 12 and 14 that the saints are the commandment keepers, the commandment keepers. Revelation 11 verse 19, John sees up in heaven glorified the Ark of the Covenant with the Ten Commandments in it. We know that the commandments and the law and the worship and the Sabbath issue is the controversy alluded to in Revelation 12, 13, and 14. So the Sabbath is both a seal proving his authority and a sign proving that he redeems us, we just read. That's the good news here. The Sabbath is not just some ritual that you go through because God says so. No, this draws our hearts and our minds to him. Yes, we do it because he said so. We rest on the seventh day. We cease our secular labor labor from sundown Friday night to sundown Saturday night because God said so. But even more importantly, it draws us unto him when we worship him, when we lift our eyes and our hearts and our minds to something higher than ourselves, when we worship him who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea. What a beautiful and wonderful and uplifting and inspirational thing that is. So we've now identified the seal of God as being contained in the Sabbath commandment, the fourth commandment. So now we can very simply identify the mark of the beast. I'm guessing you already know if you've been listening to the previous sessions of this day after day. So we've seen so far the seal of God is placed on the foreheads representing the law of God being placed in the forehead that the particular portion of the law that contains God's seal, which demonstrates his authority, is the Sabbath commandment. And we've seen that John emphasizes the commandments, emphasizes the Sabbath. So when the Antichrist comes around, which he has and was, has ruled for 1,260 days or years, he's got a counterfeit to the seal of God. Where God has a seal, the Antichrist has a mark, a mark of his authority. Remember, Revelation is a symbolic book. People aren't having names and numbers and, and laws written, sketched upon their forehead in pencil. No, uh, the Antichrist is a supplanter of Christ. He's a counter of Christ. So he's going to counterfeit God's seal. So what is the beast's mark? Well, who is the beast? The beast is papal Rome, the Vatican, the papacy. God has a seal to sustain his authority. The papacy then also will counter that with a mark to sustain its authority. So that when people look to them as their authority, it is an act of obedience it is an act of fealty is is an act of worship not in the sense like you're bowing down and singing hymns to the vatican city but no you're acknowledging the authority of man over god so where did the papacy change god's law where did the vatican papal rome seek to supplant the law of god listen to this from catholic theologian cf thomas from 1895 of course the church claims that the change of the act of... Uh, that, sorry, let me read it again. This, you got to get this clear. Of course the church, referring to the Roman Catholic Church, claims that the change of the Sabbath was her act. And the act is a mark of her ecclesiastical power and authority in religious matters. Rome has spoken. The beast has a mark... And they've said, this is what it is. The change of the Sabbath to Sunday was our authority and the mark of our power. The Converts Catechism of Catholic Doctrine reads, which day is the Sabbath day? Answer, Saturday is the Sabbath day. Question, why do we observe Sunday instead of Saturday? Answer, because the Catholic Church transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. So basically, we know what the Bible teaches. But we're going to go ahead and alter that, and it's the mark of our authority. 
The beast has spoken. This is his mark, the mark of the beast. And by the way, the word beast, this isn't meant as an insult. This isn't meant to criticize people who happen to believe in this. And by the way, nobody has the mark of the beast yet because John points out in Revelation 13 that the mark of the beast is enforced upon the people. And yes, there is a time coming when this mark will be enforced through coercive measures, a death decree, all sorts of stuff. But nobody has it yet. But let's get the message out. The message needs to ring forth true, pointing to Jesus. To financially support this broadcast, visit 11thHourDispatch.com. Here's Scott Ritzema with another final minute message. I want to have a very important disclaimer. When I look at individuals and when I quote individuals in this seminar, our battle is not against them. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against the principalities and powers of this dark world. Now, I share quotations from people because they've gone public with their statements. They help us learn and understand what's happening in Hollywood. I don't share these quotations to go after these individuals. They're image bearers of God. They are beloved children of God who may be in rebellion against God, but that doesn't mean that we need to have hate toward them or think that our battle is against them and we need to wage some sort of culture war and, and, and have a political battle over this. That's not what this seminar is about at all. This seminar is about what kind of choices are we making for our families brought to you by belt of truth ministries.org